This is the Baymall Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, I'm with Josh Bosse to hear about his spiritual practices and how they have evolved throughout his journey with God. Yes, absolutely. But, but before we dive into this beautiful rest-filled session seven, let's pretend it's um, <laughs> let's pretend it's the evening of uh, of uh, six. And because uh, I, I need to talk about something that is distinctly work-related, um, which is that. I have a new job. Did you know this, Brent Billings? I did, yes. So for those of you who don't know, I have been uh, doing campus ministry uh, here in Cincinnati. You moved to Cincinnati to do that? I moved to Cincinnati to do it. And then, wouldn't you know it, um, that was end of 2019. And then uh, things got a little complicated um, (laughs) for the world and and then for me. Uh, (laughs) uh, So... Throughout all that chaos, a lot of things changed, um, but uh, some really beautiful things happened on the campus ministry side of things that, you know, I haven't really been able to share here, but that is going to be changing because, like I said, I got a new job. Um, beforehand, this kind of Bema teacher co-hosting gig just kind of bloomed out of my relationship with Marty. But now it is going to be part of my job because I am now a campus minister to you all, the Bayma audience, or I should say specifically the college students in the Bayma audience. Um, and there's a lot of really exciting things that come with that. Too much to talk about here. Uh, so rather than um, spend a bunch of time talking about it, I just want to Talk to all the college students right here listening to this. Um, I am doing something really exciting. Um, it's a project called Olam. I can talk about what that means at a, a future time. But if you are looking to uh, find ways to build community, you're in a lonely place. If you're looking for a more practice-centered uh, approach to worship spaces, um if you are just uh, looking to infuse everything we talk about here at Bama from rest and making space to the text, if you're looking to weave that into your life and community uh, more thoroughly and you're a college student, reach out to me, send me an email. Well, you know, we always throw out my email here at the end. Um, if you want to help shape or even just participate in that space, hit me up, let me know you're a college student and we will start building something very new and very cool that I am super excited and passionate about. Yes. Midrashjosh at gmail.com is the email. Midrashjosh at gmail.com. Yep. So because of the realities of your immunocompromised situation, post-cancer, post-liver transplant, Mm -hmm. you are going to be a virtual campus minister to Bayma college students. Yes. So does it matter where these college students are? (laughs) No, absolutely not. I have, in fact, I have already spoken with my very first Bayma audience member college student, Shout out to Jacob Davis. Um, I know you probably won't get to this episode for a while, but uh, <laughs> uh, that guy is all the way in Australia. <laughs> and uh, I figure if I can handle a 14-hour uh, time zone difference, I can probably handle wherever you are in the world. So, yeah, um, hit me up. No exceptions. If you're a college student, um, reach out to me. 
I, I want to talk with you. Um, even if, even if you're not sure what you want, you know, um, if you're a listener and this podcast has, has done something for you and you're in college, I think I've said college a bajillion times, but yeah, if you're in college, reach out to me, I'd love to talk with you and get to know you and, uh, start doing something really cool together that I, I wish I could just take over this part of me wishes I could take over this podcast and just talk for an hour about Olam <laughs> and what it is and what we're doing. Um, I think we will someday. But not, just not today. <laughs> yes, not today. But, you know, there we go. There's our little uh, cliffhanger. There's our teaser. <laughs> Email me <laughs> and all will be revealed. On the flip side of your virtual campus minister status, yes. uh, the the goal really is for you to help people build community around them. Yes, that is the ultimate goal. So even though your role is virtual, the the goal of of this whole project is to build local community, right? Yes. And, and we've also created new positions to help resource new communities, new college communities that are, are building up. So we are, we are like, we are trying some really new stuff that I, I, I don't know, maybe other people are doing it, but I have not heard of anyone else doing this. And so we're, it's really exciting and new. So yeah, if you're, if you're a student, if you're, especially if you're a group of students, like, man, do we have people, on our end of things that are looking to, to help you like maintain and establish and stay healthy. And then just all the help you with all the complicated things that come up with community from, you know, building it from scratch to <sighs> maintaining it and sustaining it and keeping it all healthy, keeping you connected with God. Okay. Well, in light of that, let's dive into your spiritual practices. Yeah. Teach us, teach us your ways, Josh. Mm. Well, my ways have changed a lot. That, that's a lot of what I want to be talking about today. Because I, I feel like when I when I started getting into spiritual practices, like on in the way we talk about them here at Bayma, um, it was when I was first kind of uh, discovering uh, the the kind of perspective of, of Judaism and this, uh, cultural context and this like, you know, huge, just unimaginably vast tradition going back thousands of years. Um, and part of it's overwhelming. Cause you know, when you start looking at, at Jewish tradition and all the, all the practices, like there's, <laughs> there's a lot of them. Like, what do you mean? 613. I thought there were 10 <laughs> brother, 613. That's, Oh, that's just level one. Yeah. Yeah. No, then, then you, then you dig in and it's like 6,000. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, you hear like, Oh, there's this one type of prayer they do. And they're like, yes, that's one of like 18 kinds of prayer. It's like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is a lot, you know, seven eighths of it is in Hebrew and <laughs> using terminology. I have no idea what it means. Probably would need to go to yeshiva to actually understand the breadth and depth of all of it. So, so anyway, I, I was really overwhelmed. Um, but also like within that, especially as I was deconstructing and coming out of a more like, uh, you know, conservative fundamentalist, non-denominational church background. And, and like, that was kind of my life growing up. Um, I was, I was pretty sheltered. So I, I, I didn't have a lot of, um, life outside of the church world. So, you know, I went from being kind of like the, uh, rock star of Sunday school who knew all the answers to the guy who like 
steps into church for the first time and doesn't know what he's doing. Like, I just, I felt like I knew nothing and I didn't even know. I'm like, Oh wait, do I, how do I pray? Like, I don't know the words of the songs. Like I just felt all of that could stripped away. So I felt really inadequate. So when I, when I was starting this stuff, it was, it was a big wrestling match to incorporate all these beautiful new things I was learning and to be okay with not being able to do it all. Um, and like on the, on the, the Torah side of, uh, you know, keeping spiritual practices, I, I pretty much did it all. Like I got rid of all my mixed fiber clothes. I, you know, didn't use any electricity on the Sabbath, like all sorts of things. Like I, all down the line, I was keeping it, but there, those weren't like so many of those were fueled by this still like fear centered, like, Oh, I've got to do all the right things so that I'm actually connected with God Mm. that I don't really want to talk about those, but those were there. There were other practices though, that were really life giving and that I just kept finding more, more depth. Um, and the, the first one I want to talk about is prayer, because this is one of the areas that that has changed a lot. So um, back in, you know, 2011, 2012, when I was really going hard on this stuff, um, I would I would pray three times a day. There's this uh, rhythm in Judaism of these three times for prayer that are based off of the uh, the patriarchs. And that's one of the things that I really loved. I loved any of these Jewish traditions that were like rooted in the text. And, um, in the, in the text, they, there's moments in each of the lives of the three primary patriarchs. Um, it talks about like, you know, I think it's, uh, uh, Jacob is out at night. Isaac is out in the field in the afternoon and Abraham gets up early in the morning and they're all praying. That's what the rabbis say. What are they doing at these times? They're praying. So you pray once in the morning, like first thing you do. And then sometime in the afternoon you pray. And then at night after the sun has gone down, you pray again. And the evening and morning prayers, I would always say the Shema, which, you know, I know Bema people are familiar with. Back in the day, I I wouldn't say the shortened Jesus Shema. I had the, the whole Shema memorized. I had it memorized in Hebrew. And, um, part of that was like, you know, my little (laughs) perfectionist rebellious self being like, Ooh, I don't want to just memorize it. Like I want to memorize it in Hebrew. Um, but it was honestly a really, really beautiful practice because having it memorized in Hebrew, like I wasn't that fluent in Hebrew. So I like, as I was saying it, like I could just recite all the syllables, but one of the things they talk about a lot in in Jewish forms of prayer is that each word is supposed to be intentional, which was, you know, a big surprise to me after hearing how uh, Christianity said Judaism worked, but uh, <laughs> well, I'll leave that for, uh, for another, <laughs> another time where I'm yelling about something. Um, <laughs> so I was really feeling this need of like, okay, I'm not just saying it in Hebrew because like, that's the, that's the best way to do it. Like I'm also, as I'm hearing these words in Hebrew, going through this like effort of translating it in my head and being like, Oh, right. This is what that word means. And so that would really draw out the length of my prayers. Cause sometimes I would like catch myself like, Oh, I was just saying a string of Hebrew words. Cause I know they're the next words in the sequence, but I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about what they meant. And so I was like, man, back then I was 
I was so, I was so stringent with myself. I would like, whenever I caught myself doing it, I would stop. I would rewind to the last part in the prayer that I remembered being intentional. And I would just do it from there. Think about every word. And, uh, I, I definitely am not tr- Don't, don't hear me saying you got to memorize this stuff in Hebrew, but the amount of attention that it forced me to, to pay to that, to that text, to those words, uh, it wouldn't happen every morning and evening, but having that rhythm twice a day, these words I was so familiar with in two languages, I, there were just always new things being spoken out of it. You know, like, oh, what does it really mean? Like, what is, why, why my gates and the, the door of my house? Like, why, what, what's important about the arm and the forehead? Like, just all these images that repeat throughout that prayer over time, just like, like water eroding stone, like new shapes would emerge, new meanings would emerge. And it was really, really beautiful. When you started this prayer, did you know any Hebrew at all? Or was this like your foray into learning Hebrew? I I knew some Hebrew. I I went to a uh, small Christian school and we did uh, biblical languages, which meant Greek. (laughs) Mm. Uh, But the very last semester, senior year, we had finished all our Greek so they said, well, you guys have a choice of what language you want to do. We can teach you Sanskrit or we can teach you Hebrew. And luckily my class all voted for Hebrew. So we got half a semester of Hebrew. Um, luckily, Hebrew is not as, um, at least for me, not as tough as Greek. Greek is a ton of memorization. You got like, you know, 28 declensions for each noun and verb conjugations up the, up there. <laughs> uh <laughs> So yeah, in my uh, in my limited experience with each, I've found Hebrew to be much more approachable. Yeah, it's a lot more fluid. It's a lot more intuitive. So half a half a year, one semester of it really did me good. And then, um, you know, after I uh, kind of stumbled into more Jewish resources, it was it was pretty easy, especially with like you know blue letter and stuff like that. Um, especially the uh, the uh, art scroll um, humash the uh, the Torah with the uh, uh, the special interlinear that's uh, it's the uh, Schottenstein edition best uh, interlinear out there in my opinion for the Torah if you're looking to learn Hebrew but yeah I, I had I had tools um, and uh, <clears throat> especially since I was just focused on Torah like Torah itself has a lot more limited vocabulary than all of Tanakh so um, yeah the it it really um, it really like both sunk the text in, but also like, because that text was wedded with prayer and this rhythm, there was just this, this powerful like relationship really that was forming between me and this text. And like, I don't remember all the, you know, beautiful things that God spoke to me through that, those, those passages of Deuteronomy and, but, but I know for a fact that if I, like right now, if I pulled up those verses, I could talk through it and I would find things. And part of that is because like, oh, I know, like, I, I know that street in Torah. I know it really well. And so when I walk down it, I see things, I'll, I'll probably see new things. I'll probably remember things that I haven't thought about in years, you know? And there, there is just something really beautiful about devoting yourself to just one small piece of text. Um, and you know, not, not just to memorize it and then move on, even though that's, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to, uh, 
naysay any spiritual practices, but there is something really fruitful about just committing to, to one and giving it every day, you know, giving it every day of your life. That is, man, that produces some fruit. Yeah. As maybe a contrast to what other people have talked about, uh, or will talk about in the, uh, the next episode, <laughs> but yeah, like different, different approaches mm-hmm. for people. Yeah. Like that's, that's the whole reason we're doing this is because there's not one right way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, and for me personally, like depth is a huge thing. So anytime I have a practice that, you know, um, keeps me rooted in just going deeper in one place, like that's, that's kind of my sweet spot. As, as we demonstrated well throughout the Mishcon series. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there, there's a case study there for my, my psychology probably. Oh, <laughs> uh, but then the, the other cool thing about this rhythm, like I said, there were three prayers in the day and Shema just happened, you know, at the, at the two, uh, the bookends, so to speak. And so there was this, you know, that, that middle of the day prayer, like, man, that, that was also a really cool time because it, it was just, um, like, you know, it's, it's not like the other two prayer times, they kind of have more of a, a little bit of a rigorous time frame. And this one, it's like, ah, just do it sometime in the afternoon, but before the sun goes down, like that's, that's easy enough. And it's right in that spot, especially in our culture where we're like, we're, we're stopping our work. You know, you're going toward dinner time. You're going toward spending time with your family. Um, and uh, or, or your friends or wherever you're at. Um, and there was something, there was something beautiful about like just taking a break in the middle of the day, you know, um, that, uh, it's kind of a, like a, like a loose rhythm, you know, like, like not something where like, you know, there would be an alarm on my phone that would go off. It would require me to like, you know, pay attention to where the sun was in the sky, you know, like it, it kind of, um, kept me grounded. And that was where, you know, I could just, talk to God. Usually I would just talk about all the things I was thankful for. Um, uh, like it was, it was a really good rhythm. It was a nice balance of like having like a really strict routine and having kind of this open fluid space that could fit whatever else I needed. Um, and I, yeah, that was, that was super fruitful for me. So did you ever have times where you actually forgot you weren't paying attention or you got caught up doing something and you oh yeah realized oh it's getting dark i i missed it yes oh yes all the time and and honestly that's one of the other beautiful parts of this one one of the biggest ones was um once i went from college to you know work in a, a 9 to 5 there were so many times where it's like uh oh i like I slept in, I've got 15 minutes to like throw on clothes, eat and, and be halfway to work. And I'm, I've got to say Shema. And some days what that meant was I just, I said it, I blurted it out. I wasn't able to be intentional. Some days, like I, I was like, nope, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do my thing. And if I'm five minutes late, like that's okay. Um, and like, honestly, like that there's, it was really beautiful because neither of those felt like, you know, a victory or a loss. It was, it was a very, like, I, I don't think I was aware of it, but it was a very spirit led thing. And it kind of, um, forced me to like, not just 
accept grace in that moment, but like to accept grace joyfully. Uh, like I feel like, uh, especially for, uh, I'll speak for myself um, and kind of the Christian perspective I grew up with, which is like, you know, grace is so wonderful, but it's like, it's like an insurance policy. Like you don't want to have to call them and like actually ask for the help. Right. <laughs> and if you take advantage of it, then your premium goes up and you got to do, you know, three extra prayers a day for the next 10 years. Exactly. That's the, that's the vibe. And so just being in a moment where it's like, not only do I not really have time to think about this, like I've just got to make a decision now. It's just coming right out of my heart. It's not, I'm not thinking about it. I'm not beating around the bush. I'm not being too self-aware about it. And just like, being able to look back and like, Hey, you know what? Like, I wish I had more time to spend doing that, but I'm glad I said it. Like, I'm glad I at least kept that rhythm or, or even just, um, you know, cause, cause the other thing I would do along with this is I would, I would be wrapping uh to fill in, um, which was another, uh, process I, I really liked. And I, I, is that how you say that word? Yeah. Yeah. Oh <laughs> have you been saying um i i don't want to say <laughs> that's okay you know honestly as i've been listening back to old episodes um i i honestly tune out all the mispronunciations because it's you know who who cares who cares i um, <laughs> i think i probably more closely pronounced it to a certain non-stick coding <laughs> oh that's wonderful oh man yeah i feel like i could take a little tangent here and talk about to fill in, but it, it, it is um, like, you know, there, there were a lot of uh, uh, one of the things I like about having more ornate practices is that one, like when you engage with it fully, it slows you down so much. Cause you're like, I'm not just being intentional about words. Like I'm thinking about what I'm doing when I'm wrapping these like leather straps around my arm and I'm putting on the bigger to uh, uh, the bigger um, prayer shawl. And I'm, you know, saying this prayer and like everything is really conscious. And that's just honestly, it's it's a, a beautiful way to to start the day just with that kind of quiet intentionality. Um, but it's also like when you have something that is that ornate, like there are just times where you can't do it all <laughs> like you. Something happens, you know, you, you, you get a call and. You know, some, someone, you know, house is on fire and you got to go run and put it out like that's that sort of stuff also will force you to have to make compromises. And that, that doesn't like that doesn't ruin the practice. And I think that's part of where it shows like, yeah, grace isn't just like a break in case of emergency thing. It's like, I don't know. It's like it's the fact that like uh, uh, God as our parent is like big and strong and has thick skin and like, you know, it can, uh, our relationship with God can, can take some hits. Like there's, it's not, it's not fragile. Like, I think that's the, what, what grace in this process really teaches you is like, grace is tough. Grace isn't some fragile little thing that like, once you, once you break it, it just comes back together and it's like, oh man, you broke it again. It's like, it's just, it's a big, tough thing that can absorb all the all the things that get messed up, like not just intentional stuff, but just like, you know, regular life stuff of like, Oh man, I just, it just slipped my mind. Look, like, like what you said earlier. Oh shoot. The sun's already down. I missed my afternoon prayer time, man. That sucks. Like it, 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 it just, it sucks. I mean, it, it sucks the way like, Oh, like I, my wife was out of town recently and I missed a call from her 
and I didn't see it until like eight hours after she called me. And I'm like, oh man, I, I wasn't doing anything. I just didn't see my phone. That's a bummer. But I know she's not mad at me, but I, I do feel the loss of like, oh, I didn't get to connect with her when I wanted to. That's a, mm. that's kind of a bummer. Yeah. That's, um, part of like what having more complex rituals does for me is it, it will kind of force me into those moments where I, I have to stay tethered to God's grace and it, and it creates a kind of flexibility where it's like, Oh, you know what? Like this stuff isn't necessary, but it just, it just adds richness. It just adds richness and slows me down more. And, um, I'll talk about this as we go on, but it, it's something that like right now where I'm at spiritually, like I, these are like, I, I don't say the Shema every morning anymore. Like that's not a practice that I'm currently doing. And, um, I'll, I'll get into a little bit more like how my practice has changed and why a lot of it is rooted in what I talked about earlier, where a lot of this stuff came from a place of feeling like I need this or, or I'm not really connected with God, hmm. but uh, that, you know, there's, yeah, there's a season for everything. Um, man, I've got more to get through, but, uh, uh, Brent, did you have more you wanted to say on that? Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I I think I'm just curious how you have evolved since then. Mm. So I'll, I'll let you keep going. Yeah, absolutely. So, so part of it was, um, well, actually let me talk about the next part of it. Cause this was another big one. So kosher, um, Kosher is a practice that I have kept up, but it has itself evolved. Like I said before, kind of in the same pattern. Back in the day, I used to be like uh, incredibly stringent about kosher. Like I would, I would be the guy at the restaurant, like asking detailed questions about what ingredients were in things. And, <laughs> um, and it really wasn't until I got introduced to Bayma and was really challenged with the tension between loving my neighbor and kosher and, and like, you know, Paul's, uh, you know, hospitality heuristic. And, um, and honestly, just like being more compassionate, um, and, and thinking about like, not just, am I doing the right thing to God in heaven? Like it, it like, this kind of abstracted contextless way of approaching these moments, but looking at it from a more um, like Christ centered and other centered way. Um, so like now, like, you know, my, my wife keeps kosher with me. That was a big conversation. Um, my wife is uh, Chinese. And so like a lot of her traditional foods are not kosher by a long shot. And so it was uh a much bigger sacrifice for her than it was me. And so like, even that conversation keeps me grounded in like, like there are some spiritual practices that are easier for some people than others. And, um, that's not a good or bad thing, but it is easy for me to like, you know, feel connected to God and, and not realize like, Hey, am I just doing spiritual practices that are just like ones that are totally me and aren't, aren't really a stretch. Mm. And so seeing her not just be challenged in this area, but meet that challenge is on one hand humbling, but it also, again, creates all these spaces where I have to, I have to figure out like how to, how to move with it because, you know, 
I'm not going to go into this whole explanation of what my wife is like. I love my wife too much. I could talk about her all day. Um, I won't do that. But like, you know, she uh, is is not as detail oriented of a person as me. And so there's been <laughs> lots of times where she's like, like, she doesn't read ingredients lists. Um, that's what I would do. I would go through the store and like aisle by aisle, I'll pick something up, read the ingredients list, be like, okay, is there any, is there any pork extract? Like, I can't tell you how many times my wife's like, oh, I bought chicken sausages and then it's like oh it's in a pork casing mm-hmm. and being able to be like hey you know what like we're not going to buy this brand in the future but we're going to eat it and that's okay like it's we're not eating like we're eating pork but we're not eating pork we didn't buy this to break kosher like we can we can have some grace here you know what i mean and and like the same thing with restaurants like hey if what's listed on the menu doesn't have anything not kosher on it or if we eat a fish that sounds like it's a kosher kind of fish but it isn't like we're not gonna we're not gonna stress about those things because the priorities were given by jesus you know to like the especially the importance of sharing food together like by keeping kosher and then by having that step of like oh i need to break kosher to preserve this more important thing keeps me more rooted in the more important thing mm-hmm. in the fact that like, Oh, right. I'm not just here to fill my stomach or to eat yummy food. I'm here to be present with other people. I'm here to be, to be present with my own body to, to not just, you know, be stuff in my face, but to be paying attention to like, you know, is this, does this taste good? Is this what I want to eat? Is this what I'm hungry for? You know? And, and that, uh, awareness and mindfulness and, and sanctifying of that act of kind of bringing a piece of communion into the meal is more important. And even though kosher is a different law from that, because it's another way of, of being conscious about what I'm eating, it, it really helps connect me to that both when I'm keeping it and when I'm not keeping it. Yeah. Cause there's plenty of times where like, you know, no one's around. I'm, you know, standing in line. Uh, uh, well, I don't know why I'm saying standing in line. I'm at a restaurant or something. And it's like, oh, I I could uh, get the thing with bacon on it. But I'm not going to because, you know, it's not. Uh, why am I doing that? So I can eat something yummy. Like there's plenty of yummy things. God made all sorts of <laughs> yummy things that are kosher as all get out. And and I can, you know, I can make that sacrifice. And so like there, there's just all sorts of ways that that stretches me and and that kosher is really i think a good case study in how my practice has been changed over time both by like the spirit and by circumstances and most importantly by by people that i'm in relationship with um i feel like i, I don't want to move on too quick brent do you have questions about this i know this is kind of another area that's outside of the normal christian set of practices by a by a stretch yeah i think listeners of the galatian series will know where i stand on the topic of bacon um yeah but yeah the man the the idea of like self-accountability accountability to god accountability to your community Mm -hmm. having to make those tough decisions i think that applies to a lot more than just the things we eat like that that goes for so many things so absolutely don't don't take it too literally like figure out how how those thoughts and those wrestling matches can apply to whatever else you're you're going through yeah absolutely and like i I think one of the beautiful things about kosher is that like it 
it's one of those laws that like the text spends a lot of time talking about it in great detail, but it's also one of those things that like at the end of the day doesn't really make sense. Like it's kind of arbitrary or maybe we can like look back historically and understand like, you know, Oh, trichinosis, health concerns. Like this is why this was important then, but it's like, you know, uh, there's people who talk about like, Oh, these are bottom feeders. That's why we don't. It's like, I don't know. There's some kosher fish that are bottom feeders. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's like the, you can go too overboard with that. I think that part of what makes kosher beautiful is that it is kind of an irrational system. And I say that like, like both to be something that's like, you know, we, we shouldn't, demand that our spiritual practices fit into some bigger rubric that makes sense. I feel like a lot of times as Westerners, we, it's like, if, if there's not a point to this practice, then why do it? And and I think kosher is a great counterexample to that. But by the same token, it's also freeing because like, like, you know, um, like this is something that you can also apply to yourself. Like, and it doesn't have to, like Brent just said, it doesn't have to be food, but like you can make arbitrary distinctions between things you are going to engage in and things you aren't going to engage in or partake in. And, and they don't have to make sense. It can be something that you just like personally feel called to abstain from. Like it's, that is uh, a beautiful way to express our faith. And like, like I said before, I love ones that are rooted in the text, but that doesn't mean you have to be limited to that. Like if you're, if you're led by the spirit, like follow that thing. Um, and definitely take lessons from how the text approaches this stuff, but also feel that freedom of like, not all, not all this stuff makes sense. And sometimes this stuff makes sense on not a practical level. Um, just for a little sidetrack, maybe, oh, oh, I'll, I'll frame this as more of a Haggah thing. The rabbis say that the whole law about not mixing fibers is because uh, it's a reminder of Cain and Abel. And I'm going to leave it at that. But the, like there could be practices that don't make sense on a practical level, but but are symbolic or are ways of like training our spiritual muscles to do things that are that are hard or or teach us things that aren't, that don't come naturally. Um, and it's, it's really always just about like, how does this help you bring God incarnate God, right? Like that's the whole, that's the whole thing. That's Jesus. How do we incarnate God? Would you say it's important to have a mix of spiritual practices that are perhaps more natural for you versus ones that are more of a challenge and you have to really work at? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, and I think too, it's season dependent. Like they're like, okay, when I was going through, um, like my cancer thing, I was, <laughs> I was not doing any challenging practices. Like I, I, I couldn't. Mm -hmm. And what was, I, I guess what was challenging for me was learning like to be okay with being like literally just sure. fully taken care of by someone else. Yeah. But like it, it I, I think the, the, the thing that I want to stress is is that this is like, like Jesus tells us what the spirit is like. It's like the wind. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going. You can feel it when it's there. And that kind of, you know, being committed to where God is right now in the present, that to me is important. Cause there's like, as I talk about these old practices I do, I'm like, Oh, I miss, I miss doing so many of these. And 
some of them, like, I feel like, hey, maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting me to 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 start, you know, re-engaging with this kind of prayer. But also, like, I'll, I'll be getting into this soon, but, like, that's a big part of, like, the, the space that was made by not doing those practices has opened up space for new practices, and those have borne fruit. And, like, you know, the God, like, like in Psalm 1, right, uh, bring, God brings forth the fruit in its season. Like, I, I don't know. We, the spirit has a lot of types of fruit. I, I feel like, you know, actually, I've never thought about that before. Usually <laughs> like, a tree creates one kind of fruit, but the spirit creates like what, like 13 different kinds of fruit. <laughs> like, yeah. That's, uh, that's something that we just, we got to roll with it. We got to be willing to go with it. And, um, and that's, again, that's not to undermine the value of, keeping steady, consistent practices, like everything I said about the Shema, like, remember that, like there is so much value. And if the spirit gives you a practice that you're going to be doing for the next 40 years, like praise God, that is so cool. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Like where I'm at in my life, I want some stability. I want some, some routine, but again, like don't be doing that. If it's just because that's what makes you comfortable. Like if that's what the spirit is putting in you, stay committed to that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, also we're, we're also given this freedom and we should be as willing to use that, um, as, uh, as a, you know, as with grace, like, you know, it's, it's, it's there. Uh, just to save the emails in the comments, the fruit of the spirit passage includes nine fruits. Ah, there we go. Interesting. I got to pull up my Greek if I want to dig into that, I guess. <laughs> oh, well, I had no idea that you studied Greek at any point oh yeah dude years <laughs> which is I... crazy for me to think about considering how long i've known you but <laughs> i don't think i've ever heard you talk about anything with greek yeah that's that's not by accident i don't think i remember very much of it because uh, it it <laughs> i i don't enjoy greek so i don't use it so i don't remember most of it um but yeah uh that was a uh, that was a big part of my life for a while who knows? Maybe, maybe God will bring it back around and make me eat my words. <sighs> but Brent, I, I, I want to keep moving on because I, the best is yet to come, to be honest. Um, and I know we're, we've been talking for a while and I don't want to keep setting records. So let's move on to talk <laughs> about my favorite spiritual practice of all the one that I've kept for over a decade now and will never stop practicing. And that is Shabbat. Oh my goodness. Mm. <sighs> Perhaps no surprise. I hope, I hope so. I hope people have picked up on that. I love Shabbat and, and I won't talk too much about this cause I'm going to, I'm going to dive into Shabbat more in the future, like on a more practical level. Um, and we talk about Shabbat a lot. Um, so I'm not going to dive into the nitty gritty. I do want to talk about how I changed and, um, this is kind of followed the same pattern as the Shema stuff and the kosher stuff. Like I mentioned before, I used to keep a very strict Shabbat. I would, I would make all my food on Friday night, like literal sunrise sunset or well, I guess not sunrise, but sunset times on Friday and Saturday. Yep. I would log on to Chabad.org shifting with the seasons. Yep. I, I would, I would look at the specific times they, um, Chabad's website, they, they list the specific times for sun up and sundown and they leave a little wiggle room and I would just, I would 
keep those super stringently. I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch a light switch. I, I like taped all the little plungers on the fridge. Like, you know, when you open the fridge and the light just automatically comes on, I would like tape over it. So it wouldn't come on when I opened the fridge. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, just like all down the line, I, everything, I, I put things the way I wanted it and, uh, uh, just kept that the whole Shabbat, but basically during Shabbat, like during that time, because of all the restrictions and the fact that, you know, I was, I was still, uh, at home with my parents at that time. And they live like, you know, they don't live in the sticks, but they live far enough outside the city that, it, you know, they have the like neighbors that are like half a mile down the road from them. Yeah, no, I've, I've been to that house and I would say it's, it's out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Driving wise, it's pretty close to town, but yeah, by, by walking, you're, you're pretty much, uh, out in the, out in the wild. Um, and just the feeling of where you are when you're out there, you don't feel like you're in a city at all. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My, the house is like, it's on the side of this ridge and there's a field across where like, you know, you see elk come through all the time. Beautiful. So, you know, I would, I would take a lot of walks. I would, uh, uh, you know, I would eat good food, drink good drinks. I would read my Torah. I would sleep. Like that's literally all that I would do. I, I, I mean, man, back then I still had a flip phone. I hung on to my flip phone for a while. Um, but like, yeah, I wasn't using my phone. I wasn't using the computer. I, I was just, I would even like limit what I was reading. Cause like I, I, you know, wanted to, to really preserve the nature of that day. And that was really important for me in that time period. Cause this was like, this was before I met Marty. This was like when I was in the desert and like, I've seen this stuff. I've read it in the Hebrew. I'm hearing these rabbis talk about stuff. A lot of this is legit, but I don't know if I'm crazy or not. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what to do with all this. And, um, that was, that was a, uh, genuinely a lifesaver. Like that was such a lifeline between me and God. Um, and especially when I started, you know, working full time, that was, um, yeah, that, that's continued to be a huge thing, but man, yeah, God really used my relationship with my wife to, to teach me some things. Cause as you mentioned earlier, Brent, when your Shabbat is literally tied to the, the, the movements of the sun, uh, it changes over the year. And, uh, when my wife and I were dating, um, she was at the university of Idaho, which is about an hour and a half away from where I was living. So, uh, to hang out with her, I Friday after work, I would get in my car, I would drive straight down to see her. And then we would hang out for the weekend. And then I would drive back up Sunday after church and I would do work and, you know, do that cycle every week. And, what happened was as, uh, as we got, uh, as we got into the summer months, uh, that started, or I'm sorry, not the summer months, summer months were easy. <laughs> it was the winter months when sundown happens a lot earlier, about four o'clock, <laughs> about four o'clock. And I got off work at three 30 <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> leading up to, you know, the, the solstice, like there were, uh, or the, yeah, solstice. Um, you know, not uh, by then, 
it became untenable. But like leading up to there, like there was this balancing act of like, oh man, do I just like blow the speed limit <laughs> like by a ton just to get there on time? Or like, it, and it it reached the point where um, uh, I remember it was at the the winter retreat. I'm not sure if you were there, Brent. I don't believe so. Okay. Anyways, there uh, uh, Marty did this winter retreat. And it started on a Friday. I got there really early because everyone else was showing up like after Shabbat would have started. So I got there early. I I got all my stuff unpacked. I got my food that I had pre-made and brought with me. Like I got that in a fridge. I brought all of my luggage inside because one of the things with Shabbat is that you don't carry burdens between domains is is how the rabbis Mm. will say it. So basically, you know, you can move stuff around in your house, but like you don't, you don't bring like, you don't, you don't bring the trash bag out. Right. Um, like stuff in your pockets, that's fine. You bring your Torah out. I, I, that's probably fine too, but it also, there's a lot of technical laws with that. I won't get into it, but I had to bring my luggage inside because I was like, all right, I'm not allowed to carry this from like the main building to the other cabins on the other side of the, the retreat center. And we get there, you know, eventually people start coming. It's after sundown. And then when we start talking about where people are going to room, they say, hey, all the girls are staying in this room. All the guys have to go into those cabins on the other side of camp. And so suddenly I was like, oh, man, but all my stuff's in here. Like, I have to break Sabbath if I want to bring all my clothes and all my stuff to my cabin. Mm. And it was this moment where like between that, between this like tension that had been building of like, how do I actually spend time with my girlfriend without like endangering myself and others, but still keep the Sabbath. And now like, how do I like it? It it really just brought it to a point of like, literally the question Jesus talks about is being in community and loving people more important than keeping the Sabbath. And, And it wasn't until that moment that it like, became crystallized i'm like oh this is what i'm wrestling with like is community yeah more important and and on another level i want to kind of widen this out because i'm sure a lot of our listeners are in similar places insofar as part of what made this really hard for me that that isn't as hard like if you're in a jewish community is that in a jewish community everyone's doing the same rhythms i was trying to live as a Jew with a bunch of guys who did not share the same life rhythms. And that created this tension of like, well, you know, you'd like to think that you can do both, that you can live in that community, but still maintain your rhythms. And the fact is, it's like, it's, it's not impossible, but there are again, moments of just pure contradiction where you just have to answer what is more important loving other people, living life alongside them, being in community or keeping this practice. And, you know, Jesus gives a pretty clear answer to that. And so it was at that point that I'm like, okay, I have to change how I approach Sabbath. And what's kind of beautiful is now, like, you know, like I said, in the future, I'll talk a lot about this a lot more in depth, but like our Sabbath has really grown and changed. Like we, we've really extended our Sabbath. Like we keep our Sabbath for longer because we are paying attention to the sun. But because of that, we love Sabbath so much that we start it earlier and end it later. So we end up having more time in Sabbath. And we've also become 
like in a part, a big part of our practice is like what we think about and what we talk about. Like we're really careful not to talk about, you know, making plans for the future or answering texts or like any of the, we, we don't talk about politics. We don't talk about stuff that's like dark or depressing. Like we, and we've been able to cultivate that sense of like what Shabbat is really about. And it's not like that was necessarily missing beforehand with the way I kept Sabbath previously, but it was a way of integrating the spirit of Sabbath in a way that like actually I could actually incarnate. Cause like, I mean, that's, that's the struggle, right? We, we can have big dreams about how we practice our spirituality, but a lot of times um, reality only gives us so much to work with. And that's the space that we incarnate. We don't incarnate some abstract idea of what we would like to do. We incarnate what we can. And sometimes that means like with the Shema, like me getting up late and saying like, oh, am I, do I go to work late or do I get to work on time and skip like a fully intentional Shema? There's not a concrete right and wrong answer. And all this being said, I want to pivot to talking about like all of my modern practices. Um, I've been... Uh, like I mentioned before, I've been in kind of a chaotic place for the past couple of years. And that has really changed what my spiritual practices look like. Um, my, like I said, Shabbat has grown a lot more flexible. It has become like the healing space that we need that just, it meets whatever our needs are. Some days that meant I'm too tired from the chemo to do anything, but like watch YouTube and lay on the bed. That was my Shabbat some days. Um, and like now I would say, hey, that's kind of a crummy Shabbat that's not actually making me feel connected to God. Mm. But at a certain place, when that was all I could do, being able to just, you know, vegetate in that way and, you know, not not push myself beyond what I could actually do, there was a, a rest in that that God's spirit blessed. And and that's where so much of this, I think, comes down to to listening and not just making space for the spirit. Like, I think that's one half of the practice making space for the spirit. And the other half is actually like being flexible enough to move with the spirit to, to, you know, to try and be, um, to try and be shaped like a sail. So like, you know, if, if the, you know, if you're just a rock, that's like set in this place and it's like, I'm going to stay here no matter what, I don't know, maybe that's what God has for you. But you know, when the spirit blows on that rock, it's not going to do a lot. Right. But the more sail shaped we get, the more the spirit can actually push us. And so like now, um, instead of a like rigid prayer practice, which again, like I said, I'm thirsting for that where I'm at right now over the past season, that has looked like meditation, like just slowing down and stopping, stopping all the voices in my head, just paying attention to my breathing. And honestly, that was the big change for me. Like, cause you know, I tried to meditate other times and it's just, it's hard. It's hard to stop thinking or doing or whatever, but having something to focus on and connecting that with breath. And of course, like, you know, that that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not breaking new ground here in terms of meditation. That's a very classic meditation, but being able to tie that in with symbols of like, this is the spirit. The spirit is breath. God gives us life through breath. Like there is so much richness there in that simplicity. And 
especially when I was, you know, especially when I was going through cancer, like there was a lot of time spent sitting in waiting rooms, sitting in a hospital bed, doing nothing other than feel crummy. And that meditation, like it, it helped me get through those things. Like there was a very practical sense of like it, like, I, I don't know how I kept my spirits up that whole time. Um, I mean, it was definitely God's presence, but so much of it was, um, allowing God to fit into that simple, perfect space of, I'm not adding anything. I'm not doing anything. I'm just slowing down. I'm just looking at my breath, this beautiful miracle of life being imparted just from breathing in the air that's all around us, that, that follows us everywhere we go. The, the small wind of the spirit that's created just by us being here. And, and that's the beautiful thing about meditation. It's kind of the opposite of all those ornate practices. It's so small. It can fit into a moment, like literally some of the most, um, like moments I still remember of just powerful meditation would be like, I'm at a stoplight and I remember, oh yeah, breathe. And it's, you know, it's literally three seconds of my day and God still works in that spot. And there's like, that's been really, um, really powerful. Um, and part of it is just that, that total minimalistic simplicity and, and just pure connection. Um, and I don't know, I want to make space for you to, to talk about that, Brent. I have one more practice I want to talk about before we duck out of here. But I would just comment that that level of awareness is a big challenge for me, especially more recently. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't even, more recently, like, I feel like I've thought about the idea of like being bored. <laughs> and especially now that I have kids who, who mentioned being bored, it's like, I, I don't remember the last time I was bored. Yeah. Like our, our society and our culture just is like more, more, more filling every gap, every moment with something. And I, you know, yes, like it's very difficult for me to, to step back and like be aware of those like brief moments. Absolutely. And I do it sometimes, oh. but it's just, man, it is, it's hard. Mm. I love that you said that. I, that has been, that has been on my mind a lot lately, that specific idea, like boredom. And cause I, what I love about the idea of boredom is that it, it isn't just like, like it describes the moment where you're forced to be bored, but it's also a description of the attitude you have in that moment. Like it isn't just that you're sitting and, you know, watching paint dry or something like that. And you're sitting in a waiting room. It's, this, like this clawing need to, you know, crawl out of your skin and get out of that moment and be, be stimulated, do something. And man, it reminds me, one of my very favorite philosophers, uh, Soren Kierkegaard, uh, he, <laughs> he said something once I need to go read like the full context, but he said that, uh, boredom is the root of all evil, uh, which is, uh, yeah, I, I still have to think about it. I, I, I won't. I don't even know if I agree with it. Uh, he's a complicated, uh, complicated writer, but just the idea of like the inability to 
be attentive, to be present, to like countenance this moment where you're not being entertained or stimulated or doing something like that is, yeah, like you said, that is just such a powerfully felt thing that I, I think it's pretty universal across our culture. And so just to, I mean, yeah, you can probably hear it in my voice, how animated this gets me, like anything you can do to spiritually combat that. I think that is so, so, so important. Like that's, that's Sabbath. That's what makes Sabbath so difficult. That's what makes it hard to just say like, yeah, creation is good as it is. I can just sit here and appreciate the sky and the trees and this, that apple or banana or whatever, like it, being able to appreciate things as they are. And like, honestly, this is super convicting for me. As Brent mentioned earlier, you know, I, I moved across the country to Cincinnati for this job. I love Cincinnati uh, with one big exception, and that is the humidity here. Oh, my gosh. I hate the humidity here. I, <laughs> I, I overheat so easily. And during these months, I'm always just – like even right now, I'm in a room. It's at the top floor of our house. It's carpeted so that, you know, the sound quality is better. I've got, you know, soundproof padding all around me. I am, I am hot and it is so easy to just let that make me miserable because it is kind of miserable. Um, but I have noticed, and I'm very stubborn about this. This is so convicting for me, but when I actually just go one step further than just saying, Oh, I'm miserable. I hate this. And just say, yeah, I'm feeling really hot and like actually pay attention to that feeling, it actually, it, it becomes a lot more manageable. Like it's something that's approachable. It's not just like this thing that I'm so opposed to that I have to get away from it. Like yeah, there is, there's something about making peace with boredom and finding peace in boredom that is so powerful. And I would encourage anyone and everyone listening to this to to, uh, to, to use kind of a proverbial biblical thing, seek peace with boredom more than gold. Like that is so important <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, a proverb. Yes. You got any more thoughts on meditation, Brent? That one, that one was a banger. Mm, I don't think so. Okay. So the final practice I want to talk about is one that is probably the, the most difficult for me because it is the one that is the hardest to grasp. And that is, um, for me, art. I use art for my spiritual practices a lot, but the problem with that and what makes it so hard is that it is by no means a consistent practice. Um, one of the primary ways I did this, um, is, or do this is by, uh, writing poetry. And, um, uh, but kind of back to our conversation about like challenging ourselves. Um, I, I used to be really artistic in high school and then I stopped. And part of it is because I'm a perfectionist, which is, uh, like just the worst, um, for art. Cause there's a lot of imperfection on the way to good art and art that is satisfying. Um, and like my perpetual problem with making art is that I'll, I'll like, I'll start, I'll make something I really like, and then I'll just try and keep adding to it. Like Marty talks about this with creation and knowing when to say enough. That was not me. I was always like, okay, but I can make this a little more, a little better, a little more what I thought it would be in my brain. And then just 
overdo it to the point where it's just like, like when you put too much salt in a dish and it's like, oh gosh, this is not even pal. Like I can't eat this. It is awful. See, this is why I engage photography as my form of art, because I also have those perfectionist tendencies, but I can edit a photo (laughs) to destruction and then just revert all of those changes. There's no coming back from adding too much paint to a canvas. I mean, there, there are ways, but like, yeah, it's, it's never quite the same. There's no, you can't remove the salt from the dish Mm -hmm. unless you want to just you know, add twice as many of the other ingredients to balance it all. Like, <laughs> yes. Like yeah, it's hopefully. very difficult. <laughs> it is very difficult. Um, yeah. In fact, uh, that is precise. I, I, um, I haven't done it yet uh, for a little while before I moved. Uh, a friend of mine got me into pottery, which boy, oh boy, that is like the most of what we're talking about. Cause when you're, when you're throwing on the wheel to make the clay, like move, you have to add water to it to keep everything like smooth and fluid when it's moving very fast. But if the clay absorbs too much water, it'll get so slack that you can't work with it anymore. So it's like, it's responding to every little thing you do. It's moving fast and you have a time limit before it like takes on too much water. And, uh, and it's like, it's, growing and moving as you touch it. It's almost like a living thing. Like it's, it's just, it's so like, you cannot be a perfectionist with throwing pottery. It's, it's impossible. Um, at least moment by moment. And, um, but, uh, uh, unfortunately I, I, that's something I'm, I'm looking into. I might start doing that here. We'll see. Um, but with poetry, like I do this all the time where I would find like some really beautiful, like, uh, uh, phrase or stanza. And I would just add to it and add to it to the point where I'm like, Oh man, this sounds so corny. Like I, I just delete all of it. Cause I can't even, I can't even find the thing I liked and go back to it. <laughs> um, and so what I started, I ended up falling in love with haiku. Cause the beautiful thing about haiku is that you get like, you know, eight words to say, <laughs> like you, you just pare everything down. You're, you're just removing all the fat. And so it, stopped me from, you know, making all these flourishes. And it really like challenged me because where like poetry would kind of become a way of like kind of carving a prayer, like, like from a, from a moment, from an experience, like not just to pray what was on my mind, but to like take a moment where I felt something, you know, itching the back of my head, some, some like moment of the spirit moving or something that powerfully affected my heart and really just hunt for like, what is the thing? Like, what is the core thing? Like I get to describe all the other things in this scene, all the little details that make this pop for me. But haiku is just like, nope, get rid of all that. All of that is trash. Just boil it down to the thing, to the like four things that are in this like tension with each other. And the hard thing about this is that like, I don't always feel that creative impulse and that has been, you know, whether it's art um, or whether it's poetry or I also like doing um, collage kind of because like with collage, like you don't make the art yourself. You're like cutting and pasting things. And so it's, it's, it's editing in a way like you were talking about with photography, but it's also like, I don't get to have as much creative control. And, um, whether it's that, whether it's like, you know, more traditional arts, like painting and stuff like that, like 
the the beauty of it is like you can't fake those moments. Like, I mean, there's, you know, you can force yourself to do art. Like that's how good artists practice. But taking from myself, like, hey, this isn't about making good art in the sense that it is aesthetically pleasing to an audience or even to me, but like making art that is expressive and representative of a spiritual moment. Like that's something that you really just cannot fake. You can't force yourself to do it. And so, and, and this is what I want to end on. Cause I think this is part of the, the heart of spiritual practices that I, I hope I can impart to the audience, which is that when I have that moment where I'm like, Ooh, 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 ooh. I, I want to, I need to write this down. I need to, this, this has some poetry in it. Like I need to, or like, Oh, this is something I want to get down on paper. There is something precious about those moments because I know that they don't happen every day. They don't even happen every week or every month. Sometimes I'll, I'll have like really long dry spells where I just, I'll sit down. Sometimes I'll think like, Ooh, it's time. To, like I, I think I want to write poetry. And I sit down I'm like, ah, no, I got nothing. And when it does come, it's like, uh, it, it's like, it's like finding in Getty in the desert. It's, it's so precious. Mm-hmm. And more than anything else, that sense of preciousness is what gives life to spiritual practices. Like the way, and I think like that, that's why for me, Shabbat is the practice, especially just because of our, the moment we're in, like everyone that emails us about this podcast, like the number one thing we hear about is rest and Sabbath. Like there is something so powerful about that. We feel how precious it is to have that rest. And for me, that's what makes Shabbat powerful. Even when we have those moments where it's like, oh, I got to make this compromise or, oh, shoot, I've been like, there have been so many times on Shabbat where I'll be studying Torah and my brain will be like, ooh, oh, wow, here's this detail. Oh, we could, we could turn this into a podcast episode, blah, blah, blah. And then my brain just goes off and I'm thinking about things. And then I'll be like, oh, this is work. This is work. This is work. I'm turning this into work. Oh my goodness. And I, you know, have to back out of that moment and, and recenter. And part of what helps me both a, like respect those boundaries, but B accept that grace I was talking about that, that, that sturdy grace that, that meets us in the moment and reminds us like, Hey, Hey, you didn't break your connection with God. God's still there. You're still here. You know, it's not, um, it's not gone forever. It's still right here. Like, like with Cain, right? You can just change right now and, and you'll be back on track. Easy as that. What really draws me into that moment and, and helps me feel that truth is, is that sense of preciousness is like, Oh, thank goodness. It is it is still here. I can still just go back to the Shabbat and I really don't want to leave this place. I don't want to leave this rest. I want to be here in God's presence. I want to be resting with God in this garden that he's brought me in this moment. And whatever that is for you, like there's the, there are the practices, like the, all the boredom stuff, all the stuff that challenges us and stretches us and is so necessary and so beautiful. Like that is important, but even those practices at the end of the day, we keep them because they are precious to us. 
That's why when we force ourselves to do um, practices that, that don't actually mean anything to us, like they, they grow empty and kind of end up becoming a little, um, a little rotten for us. Like that we, we like allow yourself to, to fall in love with these practices, to, to see the life that comes from them. And, and that's not to say they aren't effortful and that there are some days where you just don't want to do it and do it anyway. Like that's, I mean, w- w- that happens in all sorts of relationships that we love things in. Uh, that's part of being human, but to, you know, to trust in the spirit enough to, to hear and see God moving in those things that are most precious to us. That is, to me, what, what makes spiritual practice important. It's these, it's these beautiful spiritual treasures that we get to keep with us to, to go back to my Mishkan series. It's those precious things that you put in the ark. That's what our spiritual practices are. And that's why it is both like, it's so appropriate to talk about them in this, in this session where we're talking about rest and peace. Cause like, you know, Marty, like, yeah, I know the, the like tagline for Marty's episode is, is discipline. And, you know, a lot of times we think of spiritual practices as these burdensome things, cause they are effortful. It is hard to sit with boredom and to see the fruit of that, but it's when we taste the fruit and are able to say, oh yeah, God's good. And God's right here. And I can keep coming back here every day. I can keep coming back here. And like, that is that is what excites me the most about this um, and why I, I, I hope all of you out there really, really take some time to, to allow yourself to be nourished, to, to pay attention to those things. Even if it, even if it, it it'll be boring at first, it'll be, it'll be hard. Um, but oh my goodness, the fruit, y'all got to taste this fruit. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> Well, I feel like that's a perfect way to end it, Josh. Absolutely. <sighs> Thank you for sharing uh, your story and your journey and um, being vulnerable in what you do and what you don't do and how that's changed over the years and and whatever. Um, I really appreciate it. I feel like I've learned a lot of things about you, Josh. So this is <laughs> a good conversation for me too. So Yeah, absolutely. We'll have... Uh, just to remind people, uh, midrashjosh at gmail.com is your email address. Mm-hmm. Um, people can go to baymodiscipleship.com to find uh, groups, events, contact page for the best way to get in touch with us. All of that is going to be there. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week to um, revisit Marty's spiritual practices. So, you know, we originally talked about those with him in episode 24. So we're going to see how his practices have changed and evolved over the years so looking forward to it um that will do that and then we've got a few more things this might end up being i'm sorry to say josh this might end up being the longest episode of session seven um (laughs) but l and reed have an episode coming up later together so there's still a glimmer of hope for you (laughs) (laughs) oh no i'm gonna get put in timeout that'll do it for today so thanks for joining us on the baby podcast we'll talk to you again soon